0: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red as we reflect on a painfully familiar story for Nottingham Forest in the Premier League when it comes to away games. We can now West, add West Ham to list of teams who put four or more goals past the Reds on the road as it finished 4-0 at London Stadium on Saturday even though it was 0-0 with 20 minutes to go. So joining me to discuss the game and
1: head to Everton at the
0: weekend, first of all, is Reds fan Mikey Clark. Mikey, good morning,
1: you well? Morning, Mark. Yep, I'm great. How are you?
0: Uh, Not too bad, not too bad. I should say this isn't a live episode, it's a recorded one because of my internet problems. So sorry about that, we'll be back to normal service next week. Second guest today is Greg Mitchell, who's probably expecting an intro about him that his mates have been teeing me up for, but I'll save something for later. So Greg, good morning, you well? Yeah, I'm good. I'm surprised you ain't got the studio set up yet.
2: Neighbour's wi Wi-Fi and God, I've got to get
0: something sorted. <laughs> I'm in my neighbour's kitchen. He's properly bailed me out. Shout out to James Lodder <laughs> and Fanula Lodder, who's also, he's also looking after my kids for 20 minutes or so. Snapchat zero. <laughs> um, so, uh, final guest today. Now, uh, a review for iTunes that I put on Twitter it called me uh, the vicar of Nottingham Forest, basically, and Greg, the f- brilliant kid from The Fast Show. But anyway, if I'm the vicar, then Colin Frey is the patron saint or the Archbishop of Nottingham Forest. So, Colin, uh, fresh from BBC Radio Nottingham, thanks for joining us. Are you well?
3: Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. I've been called many things, but never ever either of those two things. So, uh no. well, there's one to add
0: to your list. It's not the worst one, I suppose. <laughs> uh, we'll start with you, Colin. I mean, obviously, it was a wretched day for the Reds. What we were saying before we recorded. I didn't see it coming, even at nil-nil. What did you make of it overall to kick us off?
3: Yeah, I mean I I just thought it was a return to the bad old days of earlier in the season. Uh last week I I kind of described the point against Manchester City as a coming of age performance in the in the Premier League and I think if uh, if that was right then you've got to say that they've sort of regressed into naive adolescence again uh, at uh, at the London Stadium it was um uh, from I, I mean, I thought really right from the start. I don't think Forest were really at it. I mean, they gave the ball away so often in their own half and, and created their own problems. Um, and even before the onslaught of goals in in the second half, you know, West Ham had hit the bar, uh, hit the post a couple of times and gone close with efforts from just outside the penalty area. Pakita missed just, didn't he? After Bowen had hit the inside of the post, that was the second time they'd hit the post already. Um, and I just thought. For for pretty much all of those earlier West Ham efforts before we even start talking about the goals, Forest were, were makers of their own downfall. They just kept giving the ball away inside their own half, and and there just seems to be a a real issue with playing away from home and being able to keep the ball. Um, and it and it's odd when you see them, you know, string twenty passes together the previous week and score against Manchester City on their own pitch, to be as naive as they were, you know, a week later because they're away from home in a big stadium. It seems. Um it just is uh, it's a bit inexplicable. I'm sure Steve Cooper's scratching his head trying to work out why on earth it keeps happening.
0: Yeah, I looked at the possession stats and the passes, thinking Forrest had been played off the park. And actually, they had more of the possession. But I think he's yeah. spot on in terms of what they did with it. I, I I thought they were so poor on the ball in midfield. And we'll get on to that. And I think, I mean, Greg, I think Colin's spot on. It felt like Forrest were slow from the start and it really gave the West Ham fans something to cheer, which was probably the last thing they wanted to do, because it could have turned toxic. What was it like in the ground for you?
2: It was frustrating and I completely understood that that we went for it because although yeah the West Ham fans they weren't getting on the backs like I'd hoped they would, it was a nil-nil game. It was a it was a boring nil-nil game with not a lot going on. So I could see why we went for it. And, you know, like, yeah, hindsight's a wonderful fit, thing and it certainly didn't work. But there's still a small part of me that's that's glad we tried something. We we did go for the win. And I know it failed miserably. And like I say, you can look back and say, I wish we hadn't done that. Because I think it was just petering out into a steady, nil-nil, forgettable draw for me. Uh, so, yeah, massive shame. Um, and, you know, Shelby going off, you could see that as as a something to look forward to, the fact how 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 good he was for us and how different the game was without him. So once he's at ninety minutes fitness, things are gonna work a lot different for us. But yeah, it was just it was just a mad five minutes, crazy five minutes. And even from my seat that was pretty much near Buckingham Palace or somewhere equally far away, uh it was just gutting. It was. But it was strange walking out the ground because there wasn't the the heads down and the like there was on Twitter. You looked at Twitter on <laughs> the evening. I thought, oh my God, log off. I'm done with that for the day. And it, it was different in the ground walking out. Know, I can assure you that. that.
0: Um, we'll talk about the Shelby sub in more detail because I think people have pinned that as the turning point and we'll come to that next. Um, another thing people have raised, Mike, is the team selection at the start and saying, you know, Chris Wood shouldn't have started and player action at the start. I mean, I have to be honest, when the team was posted, I put in our WhatsApp group, that looks a good team, looks quite hard to beat. And I could understand Wood starting after his, you know, impressive performance against Man City. Is it a bit of, you know, hindsighting to say the team selection was wrong before we get into the in-game tactics?
1: Yeah, potentially. I think I was kind of with you though, Matt. I think when I when I saw the team, I was, I was pretty confident we, we'd get something. I think we spoke the other week around West Ham's inability to score goals and their struggle. And, and, you know, it was interesting hearing Greg saying that he didn't feel that their fans were sort of turning on them yet. But I would have thought maybe five, 10 minutes down the line, if we could have held on a bit further, I think they probably would have done. So I think the team setup was right. I think the shape was right. I concur with Colin around. We never really seemed to do anything or settle into the game. We kept giving the ball away. So I had a very different perspective. I, I, I was out with work in India, so I watched it on their TV with their commentators and they were quite disparaging about about Forest. But I, I did put in our in our group as well, Matt, that you know, after 20 minutes I'll take a nil-nil because you can almost sense the way the game's going. I think they'd hit the post, they come close with a few with a few half chances. Um and then when we when we got to half time I was I was quietly encouraged. I will disagree with Greg though. I um I just think a point away from home Especially with our away, away record, and I'm sure we'll touch on that, could have been vital because it stops them from winning as well. So when he made that change, I'm sure we'll go into more detail. I was, I was really surprised, if I'm honest, and unfortunately, worst fears kind of played out. Um, that five or ten minutes after that first goal, I, I haven't seen anything like that since the start of the season. I think Forest have let in. I think this must be the. F- fourth time we've let in three goals in sort of 10 11 minutes so we had Arsenal away Leicester away Fulham at home and you know I think we joked about it the other week you know one used to used to bring two used to bring three three and I I thought we'd got over that and it was really disappointing to see us sort of fall back into those those old habits I can't really put my finger on why that was I'm sure we'll dissect it in a second but I don't mind about losing a football game if we lost it one nil or two nil. And as Greg said, if we tried, if we tried to be progressive and tried to step up the pitch, and it just didn't work, and we lost one or two nil, you'd go okay, fair enough. But the way that game ended um, left a real sort of bitter taste in my mouth, and it's I'm sure a lot of Forest fans have been trying to understand what the hell happened for that last twenty minutes.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean. There's so much to dissect from that substitution in terms of, was it right to take Shelby off? Was it right to put IU on? Was it what sparked the collapse? Or is that giving an excuse to the other players? I mean, just kick us off, Colin. What was your take on it? Did Cooper get it wrong? Or are we giving them too much excuses to the players? Yeah, kick us no off okay.
3: Well, I think the first thing to remember is, is what, and to reiterate, is what Steve Cooper said after the game. So, so the starting point is that John Joe Shelby has to come off. Um, and I think, I think we, were, we would all agree that if he didn't have to come off, he would have left him on. Um, so then the choice is do you bring on an um, oral mangala, for instance, and, and leave the, the shape as it was? Or do you do something a little bit more expansive, a little bit more attacking, try and go and win the game? And I can just see why Steve Cooper went for what he did. Um, I, I think at the time of that game at the time of the substitution, Forrest had, had probably their best 5 minutes of the game. Now it wasn't brilliant, it wasn't great. Um but they I think the crowd was just on the point of turning. Um and I think I think Steve Cooper and his coaching staff felt that and I think they just thought that this might be the time. We've got you know they're probably thinking if they're honest got away with it a bit, haven't played very well but we're still nil nil. We've just had our best five, six, seven minutes of the game. The game's starting to open up. It's getting a bit more expansive. We're getting a bit more joy inside their half. Let's just put the foot on the gas a bit and see if we can just nick the goal, win the game 1-0. I can see why he did it. Um, I, I think I, I then look at the goals that happened afterwards, and I think if Shelby's on the pitch, do they happen? Well, maybe not, but you can't have Shelby on the pitch. You've got to take, you've got to take that. Um, out of the equation, because if you leave him on the pitch, he's probably going to get injured, and then you're done for another month, six weeks, rest of the season, whatever it might be. So you've got to take Shelby out of the equation. If they leave it in the same shape, is, is it going to stop the goals? I've looked at the goals again, and I'm not convinced it does. I already said that in the shape that Forrest started and played that first 70 minutes, they were still... Second best for virtually all of the game, and, and and making horrible mistakes. Seventy minutes with Shelby on the pitch, they were still making horrible mistakes, and West Ham at the post twice, and and went close to scoring on a number of other occasions as well. Um, I think more than anything, the goalkeeper, the, the long break for the goalkeeper getting injured, probably just affected Forest concentration, because I think more than the substitution, probably it was a concentration thing after the. Uh, restart. And within, what, four or five minutes of the restart, they're two down. And then another five minutes goes and they're three down. And I think it, it was... Um, I mean, if you look to see where the goals came from, I'm not sure having a Shelby or a, or a Mangala or whoever it may have been in that same shape is going to stop those goals. Because Jared Bowen was an absolute nightmare for Forrest all afternoon. And... You know, the goals, first couple of goals came, came with him involved. And, as, you know, certainly the first one, the cross from the right hand side, far too much room to cross as he had done throughout the rest of the game. So I'm not sure it was down to substitution. I think it was down to, um, well, not necessarily down to substitution. I mean, I think For- Forrest probably, if they kept the same shape, might have been a bit more solid and probably lost the game one or two nil, but not four nil, but still lost the game. And I can see why the gamble was, was made. I just think in the end, Forrest got punished for a load of errors. And I thought the most alarming thing probably that Steve Cooper said afterwards, which I completely agree with, was that he questioned their desire. He questioned a lack of desire amongst his team. Um, and I think more than anything, that's what led to the influx of goals. Never mind formations, personnel, whatever. Just a lack of desire to keep the ball out of their own net and a willingness to accept defeat as soon as they'd gone 1-0 down. And I think they're the more worrying aspects of what happened on Saturday.
0: Yeah, I think I mean there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, for my two penneth on the sub, I mean, we lauded Cooper as a hero for his tactics against Man City and against Leeds when he put Nico Williams to the left wing, which actually I think was what he needed to, could have benefited with doing to double up on Bowen, but there's no right-back to put on the pitch in this game. I mean, with... Hindsight's going to be the buzzword uh, of this podcast, I think. With hindsight, it didn't work, and probably Mangala would have been the right switch for me. But I don't. I think we're giving the players too many excuses to pin it totally on Steve Cooper. I don't think the sub was right, but I think, like Colin says, there's much bigger issues which we'll get into around mentality and quality of defending, and I've got bugbears with midfield and and, and stuff like that. I mean. Greg, first of all, it's such a big debate. i should give you a quick take on it all. Do you agree or disagree with what Colin says? No, I agree completely. And it it's just the, the
2: lack of options at the minute with all, this,
0: with all the injuries is obviously
2: going to be a massive hamper, but also an excuse. And are some players looking at that, when you're talking about desire, is it like looking at that and thinking, oh, well, the excuse is there. I mean, I'd have loved to have seen Surridge come on. I think a lot of people would just because of his... His goal-scoring ability when he does get a sniff of goal, uh, but it was good to see Lingard get some minutes again. We we still haven't got a clue if he can be any good for us because we saw snippets of it before he got injured. So I'm glad he's now got minutes again and desperately fills a spot on the bench at least. Um, I just I know we'll get onto it, so I won't now. But I just want to talk about next Sunday because of how big that's going to be. But there are still <laughs> hopeful signs away performances are are horrendous you know the worst in all four divisions only scoring three goals away from home but there is going to be that opportunity and there will be that game at some point that away game that's going to make the difference and it will click but whenever Forest lose big they always learn and that's all I'm looking at at the minute
0: yeah they don't they don't need to win a half of away games. This is part of a wide debate around away form. And they just need to win one or two. Whether they can do it is the question. I mean, Mikey, when Colin talked about mentality and will to win away from the comfort blanket of the city grounds, that is a worry, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I, I think if you, if you look at the away record, uh, you know, Greg was just saying we've scored three goals. It's the worst um, record in all four divisions. I think we've let in 29 goals. So every 10 we let in, we managed to score one. You're not going to get many points there. I guess just, I don't want to harp on about it, but I guess just going back to that substitution, and it, and it is, it's easy just to pinpoint one thing and say that's where it went completely wrong. But as Colin, I think, quite rightly said, we were struggling before that and we were lucky to be level. But I guess that's that's what kind of baffled me even more. They're the types of games where you really, really, Struggle to get anything going and if you can take anything from it and stop your opponent from winning I think that probably should have been the priority but we can can debate that all the time I think everybody I've spoken to since that game there's been a bit of a mixed view I think some concur that you know maybe the crowd were about to turn and maybe it was the right sub to do because we could have nicked it one and then we're all having a very different conversation this morning um but it didn't work but as Greg said you know We're still in a good position. I think we're four points off the bottom three. If we beat Everton, we could be seven points off. And if you would have said to us a few months ago, would you take seven points off the bottom three in March? Everybody would have been celebrating, and you know, would have been been great. So let's not get too down about it. Our away form is horrific, so we probably need separate conversations on what what the hell we need to do because we we seem to be trying everything but nothing's sort of landing. That our home form is excellent and that crowd at the city ground makes all the difference. So what is it? A 2pm kickoff on Sunday? I don't think timing's to worry our fans. You know, I remember turning up years ago to early kickoffs and it was a bit dead. You're not going to get that on Sunday. I absolutely guarantee that the fans will be up for it from minute one. And, you know, let's all sort of stick together and, and, and try and get a positive result on, on Sunday and fans will be integral in that. But I just think you have to look back on it and say, West Ham, it was a poor day at the office. I don't think anybody got more than a five out of ten, if we're being really, really honest. Um, I I struggle to think of anybody who who sort of impacted the game. Maybe Shelby. Johnson had a few runs. Gibbs White had a few nice touches. But other than that, it was just a poor day at the office. Massive game on Sunday, Matt. Absolutely massive. If we win that, everybody's flying again, including the players and including Cooper and his team. Hmm. Mm. are you worried about pressure on home games Colin that you know eventually they're gonna they're gonna
0: crack and lose one Everton such a massive game or do you have to almost treat it as
3: two football teams this season it's weird yeah I mean if, if I'm absolutely honest yes I mean I think it is a worry because if if the home form does crack then I think they are in big trouble mm. um but there's been little sign of that, and as Mikey's just said, you know the fans have just been absolutely magnificent this season, and have I, I, you know, I was in getting ready for Saturday. I was making a little thing for the radio, looking back on the the first game against West Ham, the first home game of the season, and and even then, uh, Tyrell, one did a post match interview and said, "Without the fans, we don't win that game." So even then, after one game. The, the players were you know, were, were acknowledging how important the fans were at the city ground. And, and nothing's changed with that throughout the course of the, of the whole season. And I think the fans have, not quite literally, because they're not allowed to, but almost literally dragged them over the line on, on certain occasions to get their point or their three points. Um, so that shouldn't be underestimated. And that is a massive factor. Um, but am I concerned about it? Yes, because they've got nothing to fall back on. Because, you know, you look at the next away game at Spurs and that, you know, that looks daunting, to say the least, for a team that's only scored three away goals all season and, you know as you say, conceded almost 30. Um, so you kind of think they have to do it at home and the games are there for them to do it at home. They can get enough points, I think, at home. Um, Everton the first one they've got the likes of Wolves coming you know never mind they might get something out of a Newcastle or something like that in the same way as they got a point against Manchester City as a a bit of a bonus but you look at uh, Wolves, Southampton, Everton as three really winnable games and if they can um, win those three at the City Grand then that gives them another nine points and then you're only looking at needing maybe a couple of draws three draws somewhere else Um, And you might pick up a point away from home. Who knows? Somewhere along the line, it it might happen again, um, as well as whatever else you you might do in in the other home games that are left. So um, I I think there's there's a lot of reason for optimism. But in direct answer to your question, am I worried that, you know, if it does crack at home, then yes, I think that would be a real worry. Uh, But as I say, not much sign of that so far. And when you can see off uh, without losing, at least the likes of Manchester City, Chelsea, and Liverpool, amongst others, in that run, then that has to give you so much belief. And uh, for, for the for the remaining remaining games of the season, that said, I thought it would give them belief at West Ham as well, and it, it clearly didn't. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, it goes without saying, it's huge, isn't it? Sunday is absolutely massive, pivotal, I would say, because if they lose and they find themselves only a point or two clear. Um, after the weekend's games, then that really is pressure as you, as you then go to Spurs the following week. Um, just lastly on general away
0: games, before we get into a few specifics, um, Greg, as someone who goes week in, week out, or alternate weeks, I guess, would you like to see Forrest kind of, or Cooper just kind of go in away games to make it absolutely wretched to watch and try and grind out some very, very boring nil-nils like he did when, we, when he was on the brink a while after that Leicester game? Or... Do you want to try and entertain and score some goals? I mean, nothing's working, is it? Do you feel like something has to change away from home?
2: Um, yeah. And he's learning as much as we are about these Premier League away games. games. Uh, but we were having that boring, wretched 0-0 on Saturday. It looked like it was edging towards that. Uh, and he, t- he rolled the dice and it didn't work. So I imagine, you know, maybe Spurs, who knows? The next away game, if it's like that, we'll we'll keep it tighter and we'll learn from the mistakes. So, performance away from home, the style we play, the way we play, does not matter one jot at the minute. Grind out a horrendous point and it'll be worthwhile and everyone will love it. Uh, You're thinking about the Brighton game, the nil-nil battling point. That was brilliant. (laughs) You know, biggest cheer of the game, I think, was when Yates did that crunching tackle and you just, you want a bit more of that. You want a bit more of that fight. And with Yates on the horizon now, he's getting close. There's plenty of optimism there to to if we need to get those battling points. You know, you've got like Palace away one of the last games of the season. Maybe we'll learn enough by then to to get what we need. So, yeah, of course, there's a concern there. Of course, everyone's worried and it hasn't managed to turn yet. But it, it, it will do. We will get it. We'll get it right at,
0: one or two times, and that's all it's going to take. Mm. I mean, Greg talks about fight and winning the battle, Mikey. I do feel that's a real weakness away from home, like just losing the battle consistently, especially in the middle of the park. I think colback has been brilliant, but it wasn't necessarily his day. You've seen what Shelby can do. I feel like Remo Freuler's a real hotly debated player, and he likes some kind of... Football hipster genius. If you see the good work he does off the ball, and you know you understand the game, and if you don't see the good work he does, then you're some kind of football dunce, according to people's perceptions of the player. I mean, I don't know where I am with him. I must admit, I don't think he's been great since the World Cup, particularly, and in the away games at Fulham and on Saturday, I thought he was really disappointing. But he does have good games. I think he actually. I think he's just a decent Premier League midfielder who's slightly perhaps slightly underwhelmed, but still being a good signing. But I, I think the, so he, I'm somewhere in the middle on him. I don't think he's as good as people say, and I don't think he's as bad as people say. What's your take on him and
1: the Boris-General midfield mix at the <clears> moment? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. We um, we always debate, if we're going to stick with that three, be it home and away, we always debate the um, who's the best in that three. So what mix do we want? And I guess it's horses for courses in terms of the the people that you play. Um, the teams that you play, sorry. So against Man City, I think we played every single midfielder we had in the squad. They're all on the pitch at some stage. Um, but that's a very different game. But I, 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 think, in, I think in general, uh, Steve Cooper is looking probably to play the 4-3 for you, certainly at home. And who are those three? So I think when everybody's fit, I'd like to see uh, Freuler, Shelby and Danilo, if I'm honest. I think Danilo, I think, is is, is hit the ground running. I think he's a, he's a lovely player and will only get better. With games, I think Shelby can dictate the tempo. And I think I'm still in the positive Froehler camp because you look at his stats after the game. I'm not a massive one for stats, I'll be honest, but his do jump out at you in terms of the running, the tackling that he does. And he's one of them, a bit like Yatesy. I forgot Yatesy, blimey. I'm assuming he's still injured. You have to have him in, maybe for Danilo. Um, Mm. But I think if um, if you look at Froehler's impact, he's probably one that if you take out of that team, you probably see the difference just as just as what's happened with the eights. So we do have a few options. Be interesting to see what he goes with on Sunday. Um I suspect he might go with the, the three that I, that I mentioned at the start. I think away from home, Matt, just to sort of give my two pence worth on it. It's dead easy to be drawn on the fact we've only scored three goals, but we have picked up five points. So we can get nil-nils. We can get one-ones, which has been proven. I think two of the three draws against our relegation rivals, so Everton and Bournemouth. So you'd expect us maybe to go there and compete. The other one, as Greg was saying, was, was Brighton, which was a horrid game. But every single Forest fan in the world would have taken a nil-nil there before they came. So I think perhaps we just need to be... I always err on the more pragmatic side. I don't think this team is, is built to, to open up, certainly not away from home. Even our home game, we winning by the odd goal. So for me, I think Tottenham away, I'd play I'd play five midfielders if I can, maybe four, five, one, and just try and keep it as tight as possible. And then maybe I'll sort of 10 minutes see see what the game's like and maybe go for it then. Um, but I certainly wouldn't go for it if we're level like we did at the weekend. I think every away point is precious, especially when you're really, really struggling to find a formula that consistently works throughout the games. So going back to Colin's point again. There are winnable home games. I think until our home form changes, we have to be really positive and say we've not seen anything to suggest that we can't beat Southampton and we can't beat Everton and we can't get something against Wolves. And then maybe it's kind of said a sneaky point against Newcastle and Man United perhaps. Um, so until that becomes a problem, I don't think we should talk of it as a problem. But the away form is definitely a problem. So I think Tottenham away, I will go ultra pragmatic and just try and stay in the game as much as possible. Otherwise, we could be looking at another four, five nil. But before that, Everton at home, we can win that game hundred percent.
3: You want to come in, Colin? Yeah, no, I was just I, I I would I was going to say um, early in that um, answer from Mikey that that I, you've got to have Yates in the three if he's fit, haven't you? I I, I just think they missed him so much. And the sooner he's back in, the better, you know, whether it be at the city ground or whether it be away. Um, uh, and and just to pick up on what, what you were just saying there at the end, I, if if you were to offer me another Brighton in a couple of weeks' time at at Tottenham and say nil-nil and, and Forrest barely get out their own half, snatch your hand off right now. <laughs> Let's take it and run. Um, and that's going to be, you know, obviously very very easy to sit here and say that, uh, whatever it is, 11, 12 days out. But... Um and a far a lot of hard work to be done um at spurs to to earn that point like there was at Brighton. But if it has to be that to get a point, then I think the vast majority of forest fans would take that at this stage mm. And uh, Freuler would still be in my three. Just, uh, I would have no, the three I agree. I agree as well. I, I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing about him, I don't think he had a particularly good game on, on Saturday, to be fair, same as same as none of them did. I mean, mm. I, you know, look at the third goal and, and freuler has gone chasing the ball and left Rice and then has to close him down. He's too late. So, Rice mm. has got bags of time. So, I don't think it was his best game. But I think uh, you just need to look at the fact that when Worrell and Yates were both out, it was him who got the captain's armband. I think mm. that shows you how much esteem Cooper holds him in, and, and possibly the rest of the players as well. I think he would, if he wasn't there, you'd really notice that he wasn't there. In the same way as you have with with Yates not being in as well.
0: Yeah, like my three would be Freuler, Shelby, and Yates. I, I, I think they. I don't think Touchwood. You go down with those. Two. I've said that on the podcast before, but I think I'm just looking for a bit more, maybe consistency from Freuler. It sounds like I'm digging him out. Like I say, I think he's a, a decent, solid Premier League midfielder. But I think we're just losing too many battles away from home, and I think Yates would, would help with that. Uh, just a couple of specifics on the West Ham game. Um, we should, have uh, discuss Brennan's penalty appeal very briefly. I mean, I, I didn't think it was a penalty personally. Did, did anyone think it was? No, I did it half time when the bloke
2: behind me showed me. Yeah, I had a, a couple of pre-match mm-hmm. beers and a bit excited. <laughs> I, he, I mean, there was there was contact, weren't they? Maybe if the ref had have gave it, it may not have been overturned, but. I certainly wasn't thinking much about it this weekend after seeing it.
3: No, I think you're right, Greg. I, th- I think um, I-, I said in the commentary on on Saturday at the time it happened, um, only with the benefit of replays to be fair. Um, when they were when they were reviewing it on on the VAR, the, the problem with it was there was definite contact. There was contact. The problem with it was when you look back on VAR, there was a slight hesitation before Brennan went down. Uh, He didn't go down once, you know, the contact didn't make him go down. There was contact and there was the slightest hesitation. And then he went down and you could almost see it going through his mind "I've been kicked there. I need to go down. I'm in the box. And in that time that the thought process has happened, when you're reviewing it on VAR, it's not. But it looks like a dive because of that. It's only an instant, you know, a fraction of a second where there's the hesitation. But then it looks like you haven't gone down because of the contact. Um, And and I think, you know, there there are, I suppose, a bit like Haaland last week, just flinging himself down at the slightest fingertip on his shoulder from from Joe Worrell. I think players are kind of told these days, as soon as you feel contact go down. And I think there was that because there was that slight hesitation between contact and and Johnson going down, VAR is never going to overturn it because of that. Same thing happened with Emmanuel Dennis in one of the early games this season. Um, he was. there was definitely contact on him inside the penalty area. Um, might even have been that controversial Brentford game. Forgive me, I can't quite remember which one it was. But there was contact on him inside the penalty area. But then there was a slight hesitation before he went down. And I think when you get that hesitation, VAR goes, well, can't give it then. And you might be right. If he's, if the referee's given it on the pitch because he's seen the contact, then VAR probably doesn't overrule it. But because the referee's not given it, that hesitation, I think, is is what's... Uh, in the end, lost them the VAR appeal.
0: Um, looking at the goals, not in great depth because we've been talking for half an hour and they're all pretty painful to watch to varying degrees. The first one, Mikey. I mean, like Colin said at the start, Jared Bowen gave Lodi a hell of a time. Uh, Loddie was playing with an injury, but then, you know that first goal. Lodi beats, um, sorry, Bowen beats Colback. Lodi's out of position. Joe Warrell doesn't track Danny Ings. It's it's not great to watch, is it?
1: It's not. No, Jared Bowen was the best player on the pitch by a mile. I, I I used to work in Hull. I remember seeing him down there. It was like having a cheat code in playing for them when they were in the championship. He was he's unbelievable. He, he's taking his game to another level with West Ham. I'm really surprised he's not regularly featuring for England. If I'm honest, but that's just my view. Um, and he did give Lottie a torrid time all game. Um. I, funnily enough, when that cross came in, um, where I was watching it, um, they froze it and I thought it was offside and I relaxed and I thought, oh no, it's definitely offside. And then when they draw the lines, I'm like, oh dear, it's not offside. Um, But yeah, it it was coming, wasn't it? But I think just my disappointment is, you know, we spoke about it, it's just the reaction after that, you know, chances are we're always probably going to let in a goal in that game and we are going to let in away goals, but it's about how you react. I think the best teams... All the teams that stay in games for that next five, 10 minutes. And I appreciate there was only 20 minutes to go. Just make sure they don't concede another. So whether it's they, they drop back a little bit, double up, you know, the worst thing you can possibly do is concede a second, because then it's pretty much game over. And unfortunately that's what we did. But that first goal, um, I think it was. I don't know. I don't want to be too harsh on him because if you look at the the, the second and third, you can you can be harsh. So I'm not going to be. I'll, I'll leave it to the other guys to to pinpoint the second and the third goals.
0: Okay, Greg, you can be harsh about. It. You want Colin to be honest. Colin. You can be harsh about the second goal then. Um, I mean, like like Mikey said, the reaction is immensely pretty abysmal to just switch yes. off like that. And Nico Williams will be disappointed. Joe Worrell will be disappointed. Probably the whole back four to some degree might be disappointed, but certainly Warren and Williams—we just managed to boot the ball into touch or win the battle or whatever. It's again not not a great response,
3: is it? No, it's not. It, uh, and it it um it goes back to it, well, it goes back to a couple of things. It goes back to the the, um, the the mentality, really. I suppose that, and it does feel a little bit like this. I, I suppose Fulham would be an exception, to be fair. It, it would be harsh to, to level this at them against Fulham. Uh, in the the previous away game, but it almost feels like once they go one nil down, that's it. Once mm. you go one nil down, the, the heads drop, and 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 you know not not from us watching, but from those on the pitch, it almost you know the the, the evidence is almost oh, sit there. Well, we've lost. Now they didn't do that at Fulham. They came back and they had a right old go in the second half, and and should have got an equaliser, didn't? Got caught on the break later on for the second goal. So Fulham's a, a bit different, and and a kind of. I think, Mikey, you said it earlier, or it might have been Greg, that, you know, you, you kind of accept that sort of away defeat. That's fine. You know, you, you concede a goal because you're all over the place because you've lost your two centre-halves uh, in the first five minutes. You then have a right old go at them. You're banging on the door for an equaliser. You get caught for a late goal on the break. That You can accept that happens away from home. Um, but that's entirely different to what happened at, at West Ham. And and you go back to that that sort of mentality and and just really how easy it was. For West Ham to score their goals. I mean, Forrest never laid a glove on them. They never got close to a tackle. They never got close. You know, you look at the, I think it's the fourth goal when, you know, Brennan Johnson's tracking back to go and try and help out. But in the end, Fornells has just turned. Johnson's gone sailing straight past him and off the pitch and Nico Williams is stood next to him watching and he just crosses and Mikel Antonio at the back says, thank you very much. I'm I'm taller than Harry Toffolo and I can go and head it in. And it's so easy for them. Same for the third goal. You know, you look, there's, it's easy down the left-hand side. Uh, nobody gets near them to put a tackle in or hold the ball up or get a block or anything. Turn, lay it back. Lots of time for Rice to pick his spot and he's too good to give him that sort of time. So it, it's just that it kind of, you know, it goes back a little bit, again, to, to use the a phrase I used earlier about naivety. And you remember the, the Manchester United goal in the first leg and how Marcus Rashford's just run from, you know, 20 yards inside his own half and ends up scoring from seven yards out. Somebody just go and hit him. Somebody just knock him into touch or something. Just do it and take the yellow card. I know it's early in the game, but it's that sort of naivety, really, that that surprises me with Forest still at this stage of the Premier League. First few games you can kind of think, yeah, okay, they're getting to terms with it. Um, but we're still seeing it. And and it was that again on Saturday, really, that, you know, this idea that they they're not even close enough to get a tackle or a block in. And that just presents any club in the in the Premier League, any team in the Premier League will score goals if you're not going to do that. Um, mm. Greg, you're
0: spared there because Collins covered all yeah. the goals. And... That's, why he's... <laughs> That's why he's a
3: professional. As soon
2: as you start talking about the fourth, I thought, oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd have taken the fourth, <laughs> boy. I mean, the fourth was a mess. But, yeah, I think, you know, it's a... there's some lessons to be learned for players. They're going to have to learn them quickly away from home. I mean, you know, like Nico Williams, it's a mental test for him to be a 90-minute ride back because he, was... he can't be a 70-minute ride back. He wasn't. He was getting praised on commentary of the method of viewing I had uh, for how he handled Ben Rama. But then he just, you know, some of those goals were on him, some were on Worrell. It's lessons they're going to need to learn. But I, I'm still, my, my opinion hasn't changed from the first day of how this season's going to go. That there's going to be really rough periods. And I think Forrest are going to stay up and it's not going to be massively pretty. And I think home form's going to do it. Still, I think they, they don't need, like I said earlier in the show, they don't need to win five away games. They don't even need to win five away games. Just the five games will stop to stay up, I don't think. I think four will be enough. So if they can get one away win and two away draws by hook or by crook, then I think they'll be, that'll make such a difference to take the pressure off these home games. It's just, can they do it? You know, We haven't seen enough evidence consistently that they can, and they've got some tough away games to come. So they do need to learn some lessons. Um, right, on, on to Everton... Like you say, Greg, it's such a massive game. There's a lot of pressure on Forest, but there's also a lot of pressure on Everton. They're, they're the team that have been avoiding relegation by the skin of their teeth for years and years. And Dyche has come in and done well, but it hasn't been perfect. They lost to Villa, they lost to Liverpool. They don't look like scoring goals. The Forest have to see this as more of an opportunity than a, a, you know, a banana skin? I've got a few things on this. I haven't stopped thinking
2: about it since Saturday. My worries, is uh, that and Wone have seen every single one of our games. <laughs> There's no management team that has seen more of Forrest than them there. So they're going to be so well set up and so ready to go. But this game for me has the feeling of uh, Blackpool when it was Pierce's first game, their first home game against West Ham. That massive, massive must-win occasion where every single person in that ground has a job to do, and they genuinely do, it has to be that, that you know, just everything about it has to be how big this game is. Because to get seven points away from your relegation rivals after after full time would be absolutely enormous. It's it's the biggest game of the season for, for all of us, surely. They have got a sniff of something. They're going to go here believing they know how to set up against us. They know how to get a result against us, although a team hasn't really done it since back in September or October so it's just huge and yeah we've got we've got issues that you know we spoke about fallback and stuff Loddy might be injured still it might be Toffolo and Nico you don't know but at, at home we are such a different beast and if we're behind that team and if that team gets a sniff like they did against Man City you saw Cooper on the sidelines giving it that getting that crowd going if we can be like that for them and they put in a performance We're not going to be talking about how many away games we have to win. We're going to be seven points clear, loads more confidence, free it against Spurs the week after, back at home to get another good result. So it's just huge. It's massive. Saturday's been spoken about a lot now, online and everything, and all the focus has to be about Sunday.
0: And three of the next four games are at home, Colin, as well. So if they can win this game, I know it's a big if, isn't it? But if they can win... And then Newcastle feel like they've slid away, and then Wolves at home. I know we say this all the time. It's a crucial phase of the season. It's starting to get to the home straight now.
3: Yeah, uh, the games are, are starting to run out, aren't they? Now you, you start to be counting down rather than looking at how many are left. You're you starting to count backwards. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's I think Sunday is huge. I mean, I thought both of the, the games were were big games. Uh, you got West Ham and, and then Everton coming up. And they're both, you know, it feels like that, that felt like a pivotal fortnight. Well, given what's happened in the first half of that fortnight, it, it just puts so much more emphasis now on on uh, on Sunday. Um, and, I, I, you know, you, you absolutely don't lose that game. Um, it does feel a bit like a must win. Uh, I, I know nothing will be decided, but then, you know, as I said earlier, you lose the game against Everton, you go to Tottenham under massive, massive pressure, and with the danger that day of going back into to the bottom three, just ahead of Newcastle at home, and then a two-week break. But let's flip it and say you beat Everton, and you get your seven-point gap, and that's, you know, that, you, I mean, you'd have to say, I don't think there've been many games that Forest have been favourites going into. I don't think the bookmakers ever make Forest favourites very often, but I think they probably will on Sunday. I think the, um, the, the fact of Forrest's home form and the fact of Everton's struggles make Forrest the favourites going into it, I think. Um, you know, the bookies will probably prove me wrong now for Everton as favourites. Um, so so th- there's no reason to suggest that they won't go and win against Everton on, on Sunday. Um, they're capable of winning against Everton. Uh, I know Everton have got the Deitch boost, um, and I thought it was a good appointment, a shrewd appointment for them. It was the appointment they needed. I thought at one stage they weren't going to make it, but then they did finally uh, settle on Sean Dyche, and I thought that was probably crucial for them, and obviously he's won a couple of games, lost a couple as well. Um, I, I thought that in terms of Sunday's game, the fact that they lost at, against Villa at home was um, was good for from a Forest point of view because it keeps that pressure on on Everton, you imagine if they'd beaten Villa and they'd come to Forest a point behind, um, at, and with a real high, I think that would have meant Deitch would have won three out of four, mm. uh, and they would have really been on a high in terms of confidence. So the fact that they've lost again, um, even though they played quite well by all accounts, um, is is I think positive from a Forest perspective. But the the biggest positive is that they're at home. Um, there's no reason to you know that they've played well at home. They haven't just fluked results. They've ridden their luck at times in games. You know, you look at the Harvey Barnes chances for Leicester before Forrest went and, and, and got their two goals. So, they, you know, Leeds had chances as well, but they didn't take them. So they have ridden their luck, but they've also produced some good football uh, at the city ground. And if they can do that again against Everton, then I think they'll win. And if they do win, then that's massive uh, for, the, for the rest of the season. Newcastle just going through a bit of a wobble. No reason to suggest Forrest couldn't get something out of that as well. Spurs, we've already said, we're getting a nil-nil there. So that's sorted. So we'll have a point from, uh, from Spurs. Um, and then, you know, if that happens, then we're going into that two-week break ahead of the, the final run-in with uh, a, a lot of confidence then that Forrest will stay up. So that's why it's such a crucial period, as you said. It, it absolutely is. And Sunday is such a crucial game in terms of the in terms of the league position and in terms of the confidence and belief it can give forest going forward after that.
0: Mm.
3: Mikey, any team changes for you? Any tactical
0: changes for this game?
1: Yeah, I have just been thinking that actually um so can you have a nine pointer? I don't know whether you can, <laughs> can I, I would say safe but I, I'm sure if if you if you could then this one could fall into that bracket. I think it's absolutely massive. I concur with the guys Um, In terms of team changes, I I was thinking this morning around the way they've been structured since Deitch took over. Um, Really interesting. So DeMari Gray, I think, has not started the last couple of games. They've used him as as an impact sub, which is strange because I think he's probably their most creative player. They've gone with um, Tarkovsky and Cody in a back four, not the most quickest and mobile. So it makes me think perhaps we can counter that. Because you assume he's gonna set up in a in a sort of similar way. Um, perhaps this is a game for Lingard, just to throw one out there. So, you know, a few games back when he was fit, we had the Lingard, Gibbs White, Johnson, sort of axis up front, all three very mobile, dropping off, not that focal point. I think if you stuck stuck maybe a Chris Wood or an Ayu up there, um, they may prefer that in theory to three. Little players buzzing around, quicker players making those runs. It's just a, just a thought I was having. I'm not sure which way I'd go. I'd I'd probably be tempted to, uh, I probably would be tempted just to start Wood or just as that focal point and see how the game goes, especially if Lingard can't do more than half hour, 45 minutes. But I'm sure it will be something that Cooper will be thinking about this week in terms of how to get in behind their back four, which also includes Seamus Coleman as well, who, who, who again isn't, isn't the most mobile, so I think there's an opportunity there for us to get in between the lines and in behind, especially if we play the right team, one more thing Matt if we do get a point at Tottenham, our Spurs mate ritual spontaneously combust, you know that don't you like, <laughs> he,
0: <laughs> he, will, he, melts, he melts down when they win, so when they, when yeah. they draw
1: or lose yeah which would be lovely, but no. Um, in, in all seriousness, I think um, really interesting the way he's going to set up against Everton. I'd I'd be really tempted to play those nice little neat nifty players up front and just see if we can sort of get in behind them uh, initially, and then as the game pans out and it possibly becomes more stretched, then maybe you know Chris would make a made a great impact off the bench at Man City, and maybe that's one for him again. But certainly something to think about.
0: Yeah, Wood's the most interesting player because Dice will know his game inside out and how to restrict him. And um, Wood or want to prove a point uh, that he can you know, counter anything Dice throws at him and have that impact again that he had against Man City. So it'd be most interesting if he starts for me, but I do like the notion of getting busy players around Tarkovsky and Cody. So maybe Lingard, maybe Scarpa's drifted out of the picture. He seems to have fallen out of favour. Maybe he comes in or they play a slightly different midfield, it will be interesting to see. Right, we've uh, gone for almost 50 minutes here, so we should uh, go on to any other business last five minutes. Colin, you've given us your time very generously. Anything you want to plug, including your own podcast, which has a a John Motson reference in the title in the week of his passing. Anything you want to add?
3: Yeah, it does. No, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, Shut Up and Show More Football is is our podcast from the BBC and uh, we try and do that every week um it's not always possible depending on who's around and who's on holiday um but yeah that um that title a lot a lot of, there was a lot of confusion about where that title came from because it's a it, it's a lesser known cluffy quote but it did come from a uh, an interview with John Motson where he was moaning about pundits always going on a bit like we have for the last 50 minutes <laughs> um, and just talking too much on football shows and not showing enough uh, enough football so um yeah it's, it's kind of Quite fitting this week, and uh, yeah, we should. Uh, I should certainly in the, in the industry that I'm in um, mention John Motson. I think there was a lovely touch at Wembley for the League Cup final, wasn't there, where they gave him a seat with the sheepskin jacket over the top and, and his picture. There was uh, in the West Ham press room at the weekend. There was um, just on the front desk where they do the, the press conferences. Um, there was uh, just a picture of John Motson and a little tribute to uh, to Motty. I think that was the case at, at pretty much every. Uh, Premier League ground, possibly most football grounds around the country as well. He was certainly a, a trailblazer for, for our industry and uh, and you will be sadly missed I think by many, many people in football. Uh, Greg, I'll come to you last. Uh, <laughs> Mikey, anything you want to add?
1: Nothing in particular just just to say that I'm really looking forward to Sunday. I think anybody who, who listens or watches this uh, not to chalk off West Ham because it's right that we dissect it and we try and understand what happened. But I think our home form, as we're all saying, has been integral for us. And I see no reason why that can continue. And one more thing. If you look at, I always go, who from the opposition would I take in a Forest team? And I'd encourage everyone to look at Everton's last lineup. And if you can tell me more than two or three players you think are getting Forest team, then you're doing better than me. So I think we've got a great chance. Support will be key. I think we're the better team. And I think we'll win on Sunday.
0: Greg, is there anything you want to add? Well, when
2: you are going to cut me off? I think I've got like four things here. I've just got to remember them all. Um, on. One of them, Sunday. Just bring your scarf, Bring absolutely everything you can. Bring your biggest voices. Just bring the lot. Greet the bus when it comes in. Do whatever you want. But it's it's just so big. We've got to do something. and We've got to open because you hear those players, you hear the manager, it works. So we've just got to be there like we have every other single game. Uh Bands, Celestines, they're playing uh, March the 18th at Bodega. It's like £7. They're a brilliant band. Please go and check them out. Uh, The football, again, it's not always about the game, is it? Pre-match at West Ham, it was so good. We found this brilliant bar at Hackney Wick. Uh, Dan, my mate Dan, had flew over from New York. He saw the game, his first Premier League game in God knows how long. (laughs) Not sure he enjoyed that, but it was great to see him. Uh, my mate Shane had flew over from Ireland from the Munster branch. It was just—he's such a brilliant person, and it, it's great to see these people. And of course, Matt, who gives me loose a stick on here, he came up from Felixstowe. And then, um, just a little personal one—if you'll give me one minute, I'll try not to get upset. But my um, my sister's been suffering with breast cancer since summer, and it's her eighth and final chemotherapy on Thursday. Uh, She's been unbelievable, so I just want to give her a massive shout-out. My nephews have been unreal. They've been so, so thoughtful. Uh, My brother-in-law's been the rock. So for her and what she's been through and anyone else who's going through it, sorry, uh, just a massive shout-out to you because you're unbelievable. So my sister, just last one on Thursday. Good luck, and we're all thinking of you. So that's
0: it. (laughs) Is this... um... The mother of the fourteen-year-old who may or may not have been hungry <laughs> I was saying how good he's been. Well, Matt, I met my
2: nephew before the. Uh... Oh, she's going to kill me now.
0: <laughs> yeah, a thousand people. Who watch this,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's Ellis. Bless him. He's a yeah absolute saint so I- ignore what was just said then
0: <laughs> well, i did have one more thing to embarrass you i feel bad about it now no nah, go bad.
2: for it i need it i need it
0: well i'm going to show this two second video because your mate steve <laughs> said he'll give 25 quid if i show it to, uh, is it martin hibbert the forest fan oh cycling god yeah he's cycling games. to every away game for a cancer charity so yeah so he's raised almost a grand so steve is gonna to have to give 25 quid just for this two second video so excuse the finger base swearing in it but I have to ask: Do you fall off your seat and end up on your ass in this video? I'll show it now. It's As literally two seconds. Hang on, and I'll show it again because that was really short. So, that, is that the rail seating of London Stadium when you just fall on your backside or not? No, no comment. I sit nicely <laughs> on my seat. <laughs> right, what a to end on? I feel bad after the lovely words. And <laughs> snoring, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you got me quick. off it. <laughs> Oh, there we go. I hope the last few minutes show there's more to life than football. Obviously, Saturday was an absolute misery and, you know, people were frustrated. All of us were frustrated after the game. Pretty dismal performance. But there's always another one and it's Everton at the weekend and obviously hopes are high. Right. Uh, Mikey, thank you very much.
1: Absolute pleasure as always, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
0: Uh, Colin, thank you very much.
1: No problem. Thanks for having me.
3: Greg, I've got a little tear in
0: my eye from your little uh, speech about your sister. Thank you very much.
3: Yeah, Red Wall on Sunday. Don't forget, everyone.
2: We've got a job to do.
0: Yeah, certainly do, certainly do. Right, thanks very much, everyone. Um, wi Fi permitting in my house, there'll be something on Thursday. I am sure we can rustle something up, looking ahead to the weekend. But if not, then you'll know that uh, I've uh, taken Sky to task and we're looking for a new broadband provider. In the meantime, have a good week, everyone, and we shall see you soon.